This is the Four Man Rush. Hello, Panther fans, and welcome to the Four Man Rush. I'm your host, Timmy Vio, with the three gentlemen, Kevin, Larry, and Will. And we're here to talk to you about what's going on in the Panther Nation and our, with our Carolina Panthers. Um, so, let's jump into it and go through the uh, agenda for today's lineup. First, we're going to talk about the Panthers being ranked 31st, right? Ranked 31st in defending empty formations, right? And what needs to change, okay? So if we're going to be dealing with a lot of passing quarterbacks, and there are some good, darn good ones out there. We need to figure out what we're going to do about that. We'll talk about that today. Um, the Panthers continue to be one of the most zone-heavy teams. And would you would you like to see more man coverage implemented in our defense? Um, what to expect from James Bradbury, number 24, in his contract year, and OTA updates. OTAs have been underway for a little while, and we're going to jump on that too. So, let's get right to it. So, Panthers are ranked 31st in defending empty formations, and uh, that comes from uh, one Stephen Ruiz, uh, NFL writer at For the Win. Um, and we'll start off with uh, Larry on this one. Uh, Larry, being 31st in defending empty formations, what the hell needs to change, man? That's crazy. That's that's, that's like dragging the bottom. Well, I think uh, one issue leads into the other. Um, you also we also mentioned that we still remain one of the most zone heavy teams. When you face elite quarterbacks like your Matt Ryan's, your Drew Breeses, they pick through the zone all the time. They like to come out in empty sets because it gives them mismatch opportunities, especially when you know New Orleans runs that rub route. You're sitting in the zone people get confused on who to pick up. So I think we need to see a little bit more man coverage. I think we need to match up better with teams, um, utilize our players' strength. If you look at James Bradbury and Dante Jackson, they both excel in man coverage. You know, they, they've learned how to play zone. They've learned how to get acclimated in, in Ron Rivera's scheme, but we don't always tend to play to their strengths. I think you put those guys in man a little bit more, let them get physical up on the line, those empty sets will be a non-factor because you got guys that have athletic ability like your, your Eric Reeds and your Luke Keekleys that can fly around and make plays for us. But we got to be able to man up on the outside better. Absolutely. Um, Will, well, how do you look at the situation being 31st? What do we need to do? Well, you look at the uh, report. It says the Panthers ran cover two primarily against the five wide set. So first, you know, what is cover two? You got two deep safeties each taking – one half of the field away, and you got five underneath defenders for the underneath zones. So really in a cover two, you're trying to take away the short, quick passes. So now let's look at on offense, what you're doing in a five-wide set. You know, you're not, you don't have that back in there to help pass protect, so your quarterback's got to get the ball out quickly. So what Ron Rivera's doing, he's saying, okay, when I see the empty set, I'm going to play cover two because – I'm going to force the quarterback to throw short, quick passes into the teeth of my defense. Hmm. But the question is, can we force short, quick passes? And you can't do that with no pass rush. True. So, you know, I think the scheme isn't as much of a problem as, you know, the pass rush, getting hands up, batting balls down, things like that. And I also think with the cover, too, when your pass rush isn't arrived there, now you're putting strain on your safeties to cover deep halves of the field. And that's kind of the weakest link of your defense last season. So I think, you know, I don't have a problem with the scheme if that's what Ron wants to run. 
You know, he's historically one of the more zone-heavy coaches. That's how he learned how to coach defense. True. But I just think he needs no zone defense will work unless you have a pass rush to complement it. Mm, mm, well done. Yeah, the Panthers, as most, most Panther fans know, we were huge in zone blitzing um, up until, gosh, I mean, most recently, you know, zone blitzing was our thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But with the rate, we're ranked 31st, Kevin. What the hell, man? I mean, from from my vantage point, you know, when you think of empty formation, typically the quarterback is usually in shotgun. Uh, rarely is he under center with with uh, with nobody back there with him. And as has already been stated by by Will here, you know, typically, you know, you're thinking that you can get to the quarterback because he's only has his five linemen protecting him. But in our case, we just wasn't able to. And when I'm looking at this graphic here, I'm, I'm noticing some some things here that kind of show what works and what doesn't work. For example, the team that defended the best against empty formation were the Rams. Huh. Uh, they played cover. They played cover one. That was their favorite coverage against the uh, against the uh, empty formation. Um, for those who don't know what cover one is, that's it's primarily your man coverage. You got one deep safety in the middle of the field. And everybody else is locking horns across the board. That's straight up man to man. I got this guy. You got that guy. You got that guy. Yep. And we got somebody just in case somebody gets bombed. And you know, when I look at the top ten teams that that had success defending empty formation, cover one was used six times by by six teams. So, you know, it just it just goes to show that you know. Man coverage is being proven to be the most effective way to defend against these empty formations. And, you know, I'm also taking a look here at, you know, different variations of it here, certain percentages, like for example, with the Rams, they went single high with a cover one 64% of the time hmm. that they were using and they used a double high uh, 38% of the time. So, you know, teams are either, going man with one safety or with two. And, you know, when you look at the Panthers, I mean, <laughs> you know, that cover two is, you know, without that pressure, it's just it's just not going to be effective. But, you know, again, when you look at the strengths of our secondary players here, with the video that was put out by Will Harris, and y'all go to YouTube to check it out, on James Bradbury, is Bradbury does his best work when he's able to lock up play man-to-man. Dante Jackson does his best work when he's able to lock up, go man to man. I mean, the guys that we have, you know, competing, Kavon Seymour, you know, Corn Elder. Um, now, the only more zone coverage guy that we got is going to be Ross Cockrell. And, you know, he seems to play better in the zone. He can play some man, but he just seemed to perform better in the zone. So, you know, again, we just – we just got to be able to put athletes on the field that can not only understand the concepts, the passing concepts, but be able to disrupt the timing pattern enough for our, for our rush to get to the quarterback. So what I'm gathering is it is a combination of, of scheme and athletic skill set. Um, I know in our secondary, we've been kind of slow over the past couple of seasons, especially at the safety position um, and having uh, – uh, Galden back there and uh, Mr. Reed 
it seems like we're going to be able to be athletic enough to have a single high situation and run possibly another, I mean, excuse me, not another, but more man. Is is, is that what you guys are saying? Maybe more than usual, but I think Ron, Ron Rivera is not going to change who he is overnight, and all of a sudden we're going to become the Kansas City Chiefs or the New England Patriots. Just keep in mind, you know, I'm going to um, off the top of my head, Pro Football Focus also does man versus zone percentages. And the number one team in 2017 that did man coverage was the Kansas City Chiefs. And they ran man coverage only 43% of the time. So even the man-heavy teams aren't, you know, they still got majority zone going out of there. So I just think, you know, in order for a zone to be effective, especially with how often the Panthers run it, you need a pass rush to complement it. And I think that's just what was lacking the most last season. Indeed. Yeah, man, I agree 100%. You know, to really run the zone, you got to have a pass rush. And we noticed that uh, we were also top 10 in pressures, but we weren't getting home. So that means that, you know, a guy like Julius Peppers will get to move a quarterback off his spot. But you have those nimble quarterbacks and those pretty crafty ones like your Russell Wilsons and, you know, your Drew Brees that were able to, even though they stepped off the spot, they were able to move move, move around in the pocket, manipulate it, and still find the old open man. So whether, whether you're in zone or man, you still have an issue if you got guys running around the secondary for too long. So we got to actually start getting home. And it shouldn't really matter if we run in zone or man at that point. Indeed, yeah, complete the mission, complete the mission. Uh, Kevin, do you want to add anything else before we uh, move on to the next topic? Yeah, just one more thing is the fact that, you know, the NFL, the rules have trended for this to be all about offense, and it tends to favor, it's definitely favoring the, you know, the pass-heavy teams. And when you look at, you know, just who we're playing in our division, you know, honestly, you know, Breeze, Ryan, and even Jameis Winston, you know, took turns lighting us up last year. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's just something that, we just gotta we just gotta put more emphasis on trusting our player strength to match up against these empty formations because when these empty formations come out, it could be a variation. It could be five wide receivers, or it could be two wide receivers, uh, two running backs and a tight end. So this is this is the part where where we're hoping Rivera's learning to play chess instead of checkers, like you know, with these other coaches here. So you know, no matter what type of personnel that we see the opposing team, you know, run out, you know, to the huddle, we got to have players that are able to match up with them no matter where they go and still be within our scheme. And I, I just think that, you know, with reverse play calling from what I saw from the last few games that he took over, I noticed that we started trending more to man concepts. And I just, I, I would just like to see, when it's when it's third down, when when it's time to get off the field, that you know, depend on down the distance, that you know, we're locking horns and we, and and we are negating, you know, the, the offense from converting. And I, I just think that with the uh, between the play calling and the players that we have acquired, uh, I definitely can see the Panthers not being thirty first in twenty nineteen. Yeah, that brings up another point about you know what are you doing with a spread formation or an empty formation? You're spreading out the defense. 
for the Panthers, you know, notoriously being a base 4-3 team, having three linebackers. You got to uh, keep in mind that we're going to play more nickel and dime packages to match the speed that's on the field when teams go five wide. Yeah, and like, like Larry mentioned, and I believe most of you guys mentioned, you know, getting getting to that quarterback and disrupting the timing and everything is going to be huge. Um, so, you know, what we got in the draft and what Rivera is going to be calling is going to be very interesting because, you know, it seemed like Rivera had those guys playing at a high level when he took over the D.C. Um, helm. So stay tuned, folks. Stay tuned. All right, so – Talking about you know coverage and and things of that nature, let's let's jump on this uh this uh, James Bradbury contract year, um you know coming according to his peers you know Bradbury's looked at one of the top you know lockdown corners in a man to man situation, you know by by a lot of folks. So I know Will, you've done a, a, a in depth breakdown of this individual. So we'll come to you last, Larry. What do you think about Bradbury in his contract year? You think he's gonna step his game up, or is it going to be the, the same Bradbury, Bradbury we've seen over the years so far? Um, <clears throat> I have one of the more unpopular opinions of Bradbury, but at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, you know, the numbers don't lie. The numbers show you he's been pretty consistent. He's one of the better coverage corners in the league. But, you know, my biggest issue with him is, you know, being able to take his game to the next step. You know, he got thrown to the fire. You know, this man has been the starter in this league since day one. So he has plenty of game reps, plenty of game experience, plenty of opportunities to improve. In a lot of parts of his game, you do see improvement. You've seen him be man-on-man covering better. You've seen him be sitting back in the zone 10 yards off the ball but be able to close out faster. He did a great job of that last year, closing in on plays better. Um, definitely is a good tackler, but the issue that I have is – well, pretty much the one that everyone else has. The guy doesn't make plays on the ball like you'd want him to see. Um, there's opportunities where he can go ahead and get a pick six, or he can go ahead and just get a pass deflection. I think Kevin mentioned that he was top five in deflections, which is fine, but I still see quarterbacks taking advantage of him because he doesn't turn his head around. So a lot of those, a lot of those back shoulder throws, he's susceptible. He's susceptible to those. Um, the double moves that Julio does, he's susceptible if his eyes are completely on Julio and not being able to play the ball. So I think that's going to be, you know, the biggest room for improvement. But at the end of the day, he's still a top 15 corner in the league, in my opinion. So that does garner a paycheck, whether it be with us or someone else. I would just like to see him take that next step, you know, make some plays on the ball. Um, show us the guy that you that he can be. You know, that's what I want to see from him. I want to see him improve, and I think the new secondary coach can help us out with that as well. Great point. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, uh, Larry definitely, you know, ended his part and allowed me to open up with mine, what I was thinking. You know, you got to think about it. Bradbury was drafted in 2016, you know, post-Josh Norman departure and all the expectations. I mean, from wearing Norman's number 24 and, quote-unquote, being the guy deemed to replace him. I mean, you got to look at all the things that he's had to uh, had to deal with here. Talking about now what his, seriously, his fourth different defensive play caller, you know, that he's had. Um, this is going to be his second, third different position coach. So, true, there are things that Bradbury can do to definitely improve on his own, but I also would like to just put him in, a consistent environment as well. I, I would love to, you know, see, you know, him be able to stay with us and get a few years with, you know, Perry Fewell as his 
defensive back coach. I want to see with Ron Rivera calling plays and coverages, you know, are we going to be, you know, playing a little bit more tighter up instead of always further back? You know, these are the type of things that I'm looking forward to seeing that, that I think will allow, you know, the best of Bradbury to come. And also to be honest and fair, since he's been here, you know, we also haven't really had no serious type of pass rush that would allow him to take advantage of, you know, more opportunities to jump on the ball. Now, yeah, he got to turn that big ball head around more. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely think that that will be a point of emphasis because, you know, when I've been doing my film breakdown um, on a nuts on our next project where we're talking about safety coverages, I noticed three or four times, you know, had he turned his head around, boom, the ball was right there. You know, and this was like, you know, early part of the season. So the opportunities are there. I think it's a contract year. We all know that a majority of players tend to excel their contract year. I, I've been a Brad Bear fan from day one. I like the fact that he's he's quiet, but he, he let his play speak for him. You know, we're talking about the our divisional rivals have three of the top ten wide receivers in the league with Julio Jones, uh, Michael Thomas, and Mike Evans. Mm -hmm. And you look mm -hmm. back at 2018 season, Bradbury had them in his hip pocket. You know, I mean, what they need, none of them averaged more than 50 yards between the three of them with Bradbury on them. I mean, you know, come on now, look how they torture everybody else. You know, Julio Jones gets what his fifth year of at least 1,400 yards. I don't think he had 100 yards mm -hmm. receiving the two times he played against Bradbury last year. So this, the talent is definitely there. I just think him getting some consistent, some consistent coaching and a consistent pass rush, I think that will, you know, the best of him is ahead of him. Indeed. I hope you're right, Kev. I hope you're right. So, Will, um, Bradbury expert, go ahead and seal the deal on this, man. What's up? <laughs> you know, like what Mike, you know, Mike Evans said, James Bradbury is the best press corner in the NFL. What you got to realize, playing press coverage is just one skill set to be in a cornerback. That's like saying – I'm the best between the tackles runner in the NFL. Well, how do you run outside? How do you catch the ball? How do you do? How do you pass block? How do you do this, this, and that? So being the best press corner, you know, teams see that. What are we going to do? I know you're good at press, so I'm not going to let you press my guy. I'm going to run a bunch formation, have my guy off the line of scrimmage. Now Bradbury can't press. Now what you're going to do? You know, I'm going to motion my guy around, play him off the line of scrimmage, force Bradbury to play in the slot. You know, I'm going to run rub concepts, you know, where uh, I'll take my big 200-pound tight end and we'll run crossing routes, knock Bradbury off, kind of like an illegal pick. Now his press coverage is no good. So when you're just good at one thing, you become so much easier to scheme for. So I just think with Bradbury, you know, he's mastered that aspect of being a cornerback. Now he's got to take it to the next level and become more consistent in off-zone coverage. You know, he did. You know, we saw glimpses of it where he was able to break on the ball and not allow those um, easy underneath routes. You know, we saw played well in a um, – he does well in run support. You know, we see those things. But I think the next thing he needs to master is, like we said, the ball skills. You know, that's what he has to do in order to come up, become a complete cornerback and justify that contract. Because what you'll notice when you watch him in press coverage even, the quarterback will throw the ball to the wide receiver with Bradbury on him like glue. 
because he's banking on his wide receiver catching a 50-50 ball because I believe my wide receiver will do a better job of attacking the football than James Bradbury. So I don't care how well he's covered. So I just think, you know, he, it's good to know that he's the best press corner in the league, but there's just so many more aspects to being a cornerback that he needs to master to justify such a huge payday. Yeah, if he, if he puts his, his eyes on the ball more, Right, and just be a little more aggressive and, and not not worry so much. I, th- I think he I think he'll make that turn in terms of ball skills and and, and compiling more interceptions. Um, I think that that's probably what's just um, keeping keeping him from being that top tier type of corners like you guys mentioned the ball skills. You know, if he if he has some interceptions to go along with his with his jamming capabilities and you know shutting down the best receivers in the NFC South, we might we might have ourselves a gem. Because we all know what Dante can do. Dante's a dog. But I do understand that uh, he was targeted a lot as well. I think he was one of the top corners as far as being targeted. But I think that reason is what Will mentioned. You know, if I'm a quarterback, and I actually spoke to my high school quarterback about this, and he gave me a little his little thoughts on James Bradbury. He was basically saying, you know, if I'm a quarterback, I know this guy is, is going to be in my receiver's hit pocket. I'm still going to take my chances and attack him because I can believe that my receiver knows the ball is coming and Bradbury's not going to turn around. Because if you stare down Dante Jackson, he's going to make you pay and create turnovers. So I think we'll be complete when you're a quarterback and you got a second-guess throwing to either one of them. You know what I mean? So that's the most key thing for Bradbury is just to improve on the ball skills. Everybody's not going to be a Deion Sanders or a Chant Bailey where they're just picking off everything. But still, if a quarterback is going to pick on you, you got to make him pay more times than not. And that's what I'm waiting for. And that's what would what need to happen for me to give him a contract extension. That's what's up. And if he gets a contract extension, y'all realize James Bradbury will be the first cornerback to get a contract, exten- contract extension from the Panthers since Chris Gamble? <laughs> a long time coming. Yeah, and I mean, and Gamble was drafted back in 2004. You know, yeah. he stayed with the team, you know, up till um, 2012. You know, he was one of the first casualty caps of the uh, Yettleman era. Yeah. Um, as far as getting us out the uh, hole, because we was like negative $16 million over the cap. Mm. And, um, you know, those, um, you know, those her- old Herney contracts back in the day had us all, uh, had us all bewildered, but yeah, I, I definitely, it definitely would be encouraging to see, you know, a product like Bradbury, you know, come back here and, and I got no problems him getting a bit payday here. If, if his, you know, talent and his uh, resume show it. Now, obviously we know that the market will dictate, uh, I forgot that a uh, cornerback down in Miami that uh just resigned and got a big deal, but you know, you know, Bradbury's thinking about, you know, this could this could be his uh, big payday here. I I definitely can, you know, I'm definitely pulling for the guy. And I, I hope he's a a Panther for a majority, if not all, of his career. You're here. Hey, what you got to realize is what Bradbury does to be able to shadow an opponent's number one wide receiver, whether he's in the slot, whether he's on either side, whether he's going in motion or wherever he lines up. I mean, that's not a lot of corners are able to do that. You know, when you watch, is maybe. 15 or so, give or take, corners that are able to do that week after week. So having a guy that's able to do that is definitely a luxury. Uh, I think Dante 
once he gets coming into his second year, I think you'll see a lot more of that with him as well. But, you know, how nice would it be to have two guys with that type of ability? That'd be beautiful, especially if Ron's, you know, trying to confuse the quarterback and bring that heat. That's going to make the quarterback hold on just a little bit longer to hopefully we get that sack in there, you know? Yeah, and I'm of the mind frame. Oh, I'm sorry, Larry. I was, I was about to mention something you had stated. I'm of the mind frame, you know, when we were speaking about Dante Jackson, I mean, yeah, he, he definitely, you know, did a respectable job as an outside corner, but could his maximum skill and value be playing that nickel slot because the nickel corner, because pretty much now, your nickel is the new starter. There's no more um, three linebacker, four linebacker, depending on if you run a three, four to four, three. Um, you know, linebackers have a linebacker has been removed. And, you know, Larry had mentioned last week that, you know, it would be ideal that if Ross Cockwell could lock up the outside corner position and we can slide, you know, Dante over to nickel, like, like how premium would that be, you know, and, and the fact that when you look at a majority of our defensive backs on the, t- on the team, I mean, the fact that, like you said, Brad Bear can play outside and he moves around in the slot, you know, Dante can do the same thing. Um, you know, we've yet to see what, you know, Cockrell can do, Cockrell can do, um, Seymour, you know, he's played inside, outside. So, you know, we were talking about Golden being, you know, both safety and nickel. So when you can take different players and on any given deep um, formation by the offense can line them up in different places, that's that's going to give the, that quarterback that hesitation that Rivera is seeking by, you know, because it's hard to game plan when you don't know a specific where this guy may line up one play to the next. Sure, there may be certain tendencies, but, you know, just the fact that, like I say, if Ron really learns how to play chess, you know, you could see us getting back to that defensive nightmare where we're getting to the quarterback now because we don't created some hesitation, not only with the speed off our edges, but the fact that you don't know where our DB is going to line up from one formation to the next. What they need to do, just take, look at Dante Jackson on the roster, cross out CB and just put DB. He can play outside corner. He can play nickel corner. I've seen him line up at free safety when we go double tight. Yep. He could play all the positions in the secondary. So why pigeonhole him into being outside corner? Pigeonhole him and say he's a nickel. You know, he's a DB. He can play everywhere. And I think that's one of the biggest um, assets of having a player like that is, you know, we can have him at free safety, and he's probably got as good as range as anybody on the roster right now. Mm-hmm. So let's just call him a defensive back and watch him go to work. I agree 100%. And when you have the when you have that ability, you know, from one of your corners, all that does is open up opportunities for everybody else. So if I'm looking at the roster now, you know, Bradbury's got a spot on lock. You can put Dante wherever you want him to. That just tells me that Seymour, Cockrell, and Elder have to go out and earn the reps. Whether they're going to be a nickel, whether they're going to be an outside corner, they know that they got to fight for reps and they're going to get opportunities because that that position flexibility that you get with Dante with being able to put him wherever you want to put him at. So these guys better find out where their strengths are and try to take advantage and camp because we need somebody. You know, it can't just be Bradbury and Dante out there. Somebody's going to come out and, and take a spot. Like I was telling you guys the past couple of episodes, that's what I'm most excited to see. I want to see how that's going to unfold. 
Yeah, there, I know this is one corner that we got from the Giants. What, what's the gentleman's name, Ross or something? Yeah, Ross Cockrell. Yeah, it, it, I mean, if if he's healthy, you know, coming in, he I mean, he was a decent corner. Yeah, you saw um, he played nickel uh, a game I saw. I think it was against the Rams. Mm. I mean, he played, he looked good there. I think he's more comfortable on the outside, but he's played both positions, and that's what's important. He can just come in and play anywhere he wants, but I mean he's a good he's a good corner. He got good instincts, good ball skills, recognizes routes uh, very quickly, processes things very quickly. You know he's just got a good skill set for a zone cornerback. You know he struggles a bit in man press coverage. I think that's why Pittsburgh moved on from him, and he ended up in New York in the first place. Mm. And when the Giants wanted to play more man coverage, they let him go too because he just wasn't in their plans. But, you know, as a guy coming in to play nickel, I mean, we're a zone-heavy scheme anyway, so he, you know, theoretically he should fit right into what we do as a defense. True that. True that. That's right, Panther fans. Only the four-man rush can be that detailed, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the OTAs. These guys have been flying around over the past couple of days. I'm sure a lot of you Panther fans have seen the photos, everybody flexing, getting their grind on, except for Cam's not throwing the ball. But that's, you know, that's a whole other story. Um, so, um, gentlemen, what OTA updates updates do you have for the for Panther Nation? Uh, let's start with uh, Kevin on this one. Yeah, well, as far as me with the, um, uh, with the OTA so far, you know, and for those who don't know, and we just like to make sure that we remind you that the Foreman Rush educates, uh, OTA stands for uh, Organized uh, Training Activities, if I'm not mistaken. And basically, this is like summer school for the players. This is where they get into their um, get into the playbook, learning the calls, learning the you know the audibles. This is where you you know you get the classroom session, and then you go out on the field and walk walk through it, go through it, and, and eventually start running plays with it. So, you know, with that being said, so far with OTAs, we're we're seeing that Rivera's really sticking to what he's been saying all offseason about position flexibility. You know, we're seeing guys, you know, lined up in multiple multiple spots. We're seeing, you know, lots of, you know, three, four philosophy fronts, you know, whether it's base, whether it's nickel, and this is definitely creating a nice buzz of interest, not only for us fans to like to watch, but amongst the players as well. You know, I, I believe Kawan Short had just said the other day, it's like he's out there now. And he's seeing all the speed that's been added. It's just like, wow, it's really going to be a race to get to the quarterback. You know, and when you get a guy like him feeling that type of way, you know, I, I like to think that that's going to help him elevate his already stellar play to another level because, you know, if, you know, he don't want to be left out, you know, of the sack party, you know, and if and if we can get the 2015 version of short back, my God, it's it's going to be a long day for opposing quarterbacks, I'm trying to tell you. But, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely like the fact that players are being moved around. Like I saw where uh, today they had um, Daryl Williams um, during the installation period uh, line up at left tackle. You know, everybody been saying, oh, he's probably going to get guard. But it's just nice to know that, you know, as we like to do with John Masco, he's just moving play arounds and 
getting everybody a chance to, you know, see how they perform and how they do. So, um, so far from OTAs, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm seeing so far. Uh, Will, what what have we seen so far from OTAs, man? Well, you know, one thing I'm really um, excited to see is that they seem to be pretty high on Rashawn Golden at safety. But I think, you know, in T-shirt and shorts and processing things, I think that's really his time to shine because the strength coming out of Tennessee is a high IQ player. So I think now that he's starting to process things better and understand coverages, understand route concepts, you know, let's see how he does in helmet and pads going full live in preseason. But it's good to see because last year he didn't nearly have a good OTA session. He was still learning a new position and coming along very slow. So it's really good to see him, you know, in his second year starting to step up and process things a lot. And then Ron Rivera just has a lot of good things to say about him, how he's always um, asking questions, always trying to know why things are done a certain way, you know, watch his film a lot. So I I just like the habits he's showing. And that's what you got to look for in helmet and shorts, you know, things like that. How quickly are these guys processing things? And another thing I find interesting, I think the 3-4 makeover is more significant than a lot of us originally thought. You know, it might even be our base defense coming in this year. So that's something I'm definitely looking forward to seeing uh, this summer is whether it's going to be a case of a situational pass rush like last year or whether we're going to be a full-blown 30-front team. You know, and then, of course, you know, the rookies, Brian Burns, out there flying around, looking like a freak athlete. Um, you know, so I mean, it's just so far. You know, it's hard to kind of you're trying to visualize tweaks and put them in your mind as to what's going on. But you know, I like what I've seen, what I'm reading about so far. Larry, <clears throat> a couple things stood out to me. Uh, for one, whether it's a three-four or four-three, you notice that Luke Keekley isn't missing a beat at all. He was making flash plays today, uh, had a couple of interceptions. That's good to see that he's taking that adjustment pretty well. Um, one thing, you know, I do I, – I pay attention around the league. You know, I, I don't just pay attention to the Panthers. I like to see what my rivals are doing. I like to see what, you know, us conference guys are doing. One thing that stands out about our team is the leadership. As you look at the attendance at OTAs, all your core guys are there. Cam is there. Olsen is there. Keekley is there. Um, McCaffrey is there. Uh, you got a new guy in Matt Paradis that's going to be the leader of our offensive line. He's present. That, to me, is key. Like, what we're doing right now is key to the success that we're going to have in the fall. Yep. And just to hear that, you know, we're almost at 100%, 100% attendance, that's big for me. That matters to me. Um, also, you know, Brian Burns showed more than just his athleticism today. He snuffed out a reverse play. That shows you that he's not all about just rushing the passer. Mm-hmm. This guy has the IQ as well. So that discipline. I was really excited about that. But just regular OTA stuff, you know, it was good to see the guys running around. Good to see guys are taking in the playbook, learning every day. That way we can have a smooth transition when it comes to camp. But the biggest thing to me, again, was the leadership. Man, having guys present is more important than the average fan would understand. I totally agree. I, I know all of us have been in our locker room at some point in time and we can all think about, you know, somebody in that locker room that was significant, uh, that brought us, you know, through as a team to overcome situations, you know, to 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 stick together and get over things. You know, I I know that's that's huge. That's huge. Yeah.
Um, yeah, and if you just if you look around the league, just one more point. The reason why I said I do that is because I look directly at our rivals. I live here in Atlanta. The OTAs up in Flowery Branch, about forty minutes from me. Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Julio Jones. He's not at OTAs. Uh, yeah, he's not at OTAs. Grady Jarrett, who they franchise tag, their best defensive lineman. He's not president at OTAs. Then you got Vic P, uh, Vic Beasley, that had two disappointing seasons in a row. They picked up his fifth year option. They're expecting him to, you know, ball out so he can earn a contract. He's not president of OTAs either. Wow. So, you know, only guys that are there is really Matt Ryan and Devontae Freeman as far as the leaders go. So I just look at around the league. I think that we have a continuity that separates us from everybody else. And I'm just paying attention to what I see. Do you think that continuity is a, uh, is, is, is resembling of what happened in the 2015-2016 uh, season, Kevin? Yeah, I, I definitely think it was. Um, you know, a lot's to be said, you know, for for leadership and chemistry. And as a guy that's been in the locker room where I was nervous and and was around a bunch of strong leaders to eventually evolve and to become a, a leader myself, I definitely I definitely know for a fact firsthand that that that's something that really matters and really does show up on the field. You know, when you got that you know, saying that confidence in knowing that, hey, you know, the guy beside me put in the, t the time and the work to make sure he was prepared, you know, that even when mistakes are made, you know, you're going all out. And you know that once, you know, adjustments are made that somehow, some way, you know, the team is going to come out on top. So I definitely think that that we we still have the core of what remained from the 2015-2016 season to definitely reinvent that and, you know, see if we can finish this thing off this time. Uh, so I, I definitely agree with that. Scott Turner, the quarterback's coach, was pounding the table for Will Griff. You know, he you know he went to his pro day in West Virginia, and they were really high on him. And that was the biggest reason why we drafted Will Griff. But when he did come out and say, you know, Will Greer is going to have to earn that backup spot, and Heineke and Allen aren't going to give it up that easily. And if you remember last year, Heineke won that backup job. You know, Kyle Allen is fresh in everybody's mind off that Week 17 performance, but, you know, in practice and training camp and all offseason, they got a good look at both guys. And Heineke was the last man standing and won that job. So, you know, you can't count him out yet either. It's good to see him coming out and, guns are blazing trying to protect his number two spot so we'll see how it plays out yeah there's another player flying around at otas uh i believe it was today if i'm not mistaken old curtis samuel aka the heartbreak kid flying around catching some deep balls that was from heineke too if i'm not mistaken right yes sir man kurt we love you man but damn son <laughs> You made the team, bro. Easy. Yeah, you made the team. I don't need to see him diving for balls, messing around and crack a rib or something like that. It's still OTAs. It's supposed to be like a, a sped-up walkthrough, man. Just 75%. Let that ball fly over your head next time. You'll we'll, we'll make you make those plays in the preseason. All right. Well, Panther fans, thanks once again for joining us for the Four Members Podcast. This is your host, Timmy Vio, with Kevin, Larry, and Will. Uh, special shout out to the folks behind the scenes, our blog writers and our social media management. 
and of course to you the panther fans out there check us next time for episode 12 and as always keep pounding The Foreman Rush is brought to you by the love and respect of and for the Carolina Panthers and Carolina Panther fans everywhere. Keep pounding. The Foreman Rush is a non-affiliate of the Carolina Panther organization. All thoughts, assessments, and content of this podcast is directly related to the Foreman Rush exclusively. Thank you.